So friends, this is uh, the weekend uh, in the season of Lent where we really get to confront uh, temptation and look at kind of the sources of uh, what tempts us as human beings and how Christ gives us confidence uh, with his grace and power that we can confront uh, those temptations with him. There's a lot of different ways we could talk about um, kind of the nature of Jesus' three temptations in the desert. I was reading uh, Pope Francis's reflection this week uh, in his uh, Wednesday Angelus of, of how he describes these three temptations. And he talks about the three temptations that the devil uses. Uh, and he gives his uh, uh, take on that uh, this week. So you might uh, check that out. I actually wanted to do it through the lens of a passage uh, in the New Testament. There's a, a letter, uh, uh, the first letter of St. John in the New Testament. And he, he, in one sentence, in one verse, talks about three uh, main temptations that we face in being more aligned with the spirit of the world than the spirit of God. And he, he calls them this. He calls them... Uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. He summarizes the three main temptations, and these have been used uh, in the spiritual tradition of the church to kind of, in some way, try to describe the main temptations that we face uh, as human beings in being more aligned with the spirit of the world than the spirit of God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. So I want to kind of develop those a little bit. I first was thinking about how they apply just on a natural level. Um, and I was thinking about every time in my own life that I've tried to pursue some kind of goal or accomplish something, how those temptations have played out just on a natural level. So most of you know that I spent most of my childhood trying to become a great uh, tennis player. Whether I did is... Uh, you can ask Tracy here, the women's tennis coach, if I ever achieved such a thing. Um, but I was thinking how that played out even in the pursuit of that goal, these three temptations. right? The lust of the flesh, I would say, is the temptation to be distracted from zeroing in on that which we want to accomplish because there are other really good things and other really good pleasures that I'm attracted to along the way. But that could distract me from that goal. I remember, for example, I had to be gone a lot of weekends in high school, traveling around with my dad all around the country to play these tournaments. And I remember I, it, it drove me nuts because I would miss high school football games and I would miss parties with my friends, right? And I was really tempted to say, forget this tennis thing because there are other temptations of the flesh, of, of you know, worldly goods and pleasures, good things that I wanted to do instead. But that would have probably distracted me from the goal that I had set out to accomplish. I want to call that the lust of the flesh. When the other pleasures, often very good things of the world, um, can kind of get us off course uh, from, from that goal. The second, the lust of the eyes. I think John's getting at sort of the fact that we look around and we see how everyone else is doing. And if we see something desirable... In, in what's around us, we often measure ourselves up 
against that. And so I was comparing that to, to tennis and how I would obsess about looking around at other people's rankings, other kids I was playing against. And I would obsess about that and I measure myself up constantly against other people instead of focusing on what I knew I had to do to succeed. I was constantly measuring myself up against the successes of others instead of being zeroed in on what I needed to do, the lust of the eyes. And then finally, pride of life, that occasionally I had an inflated sense of how good I was. And that served to stifle and to choke the incentive to keep getting better. When I got content with, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty high rank. Um, like, I'm pretty good. Right? The minute that creeped in, it, it sort of stripped me. I famously, not famously, that's a huge overstatement. <laughs> I, I, it's not famous to anyone except for me, and I'm about to tell you about it. Um, I won the state championship in tennis in singles my junior year of high school. And then, don't ask me what happened my senior year, because I thought very highly of myself my senior year. I thought I was going to walk into a second, a repeat state championship, and you know what happened? I lost in the quarterfinals in a match I should not have lost in, but I, I had a pride, a sense of, my, an inflated, exaggerated sense of my superiority that stopped me from practicing that last year, because I thought I was going to be a cakewalk. I thought I was entitled to that repeat. So I think even on a natural level, if we think about our goals and we want to pursue something, these three, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, creep in to sort of get us off course. Now, take these up a frequency to the spiritual level. I would argue that these three temptations are present in the garden in our first reading, and they are undone right by Jesus in the gospel. Again, there'd be a lot of ways of looking at those three temptations, but I want to look at them through that lens. So first of all, the Genesis account, right? It says, the, the, the account says the fruit was good for food. I want to talk about that as the lust of the flesh. It was good for food. Tasted good, right? So it was attractive to eat. Now, I've said this before. I, you've probably heard this, but, right? He, it doesn't say apple. Right? In art, you know, it's always an apple. But I hate apples. So I don't, I would not have, I, if, if it was an apple, we would still be in the garden if I was Adam. <laughs> like, I'm positive on that. Now, if it was a mango, we'd still be in this mess we're in. Because I would have eaten the mango. Um, right? But it was good for food. It, there was a lust of the flesh. Right? The pleasure of the flesh. It says, uh, it was pleasing to the eyes, the fruit. There was something attractive, desirable about looking at it that was enough to entice you to say, you know what, I kind of want to possess that. I kind of want that. I want to be in possession of that. And then finally there was the temptation to pride that Satan exploits. He says, come on, God, God doesn't want you to be as smart as him. He wants you to have knowledge. Right? What's he trying to keep from you? He wants to tempt them to a kind of 
inflated sense of, of self. So I think in different ways we might see those three temptations in present in the original uh, fall in the garden. But what's so cool is that Jesus undoes these. And, and Paul in the second reading, he plays this out, right? He sees this as a kind of foil, as a kind of juxtaposition that we're supposed to see Jesus undoing what, what Adam did in the, in, the, in, the, in the biblical narrative. That Jesus's resistance of temptation undoes Adam and Eve's failure to resist temptation. And so we see in those three temptations, I think the lust of the flesh in the first temptation, right? To turn bread, precisely when you're hungry, to turn a stone into bread. Right? To see pleasure as the ultimate good, something like that. We see in the temptation to the, that Satan shows him all of the kingdoms of the world, right? The lust of the eyes. Look at all of this. Look at all of this earthly power that you could have if you surrender to me. Right? Look at all of this. And Jesus, of course, says, no, no, no. I didn't come to attain and to possess earthly power and authority. I came in humility. And then finally, the pride of life, the pride to, to, you know, Satan says, basically, be Superman. Throw yourself down from the parapet of the temple, and you know you can call down the angels to catch you. A temptation to assert his divine power and authority over nature, right, so that he can show how superior he is. Temptation to pride, and Jesus says, I will not tempt uh, the Lord. And so I think what we see here is, in, again, in one version, there'd be lots of ways of talking of these temptations, but I think we could see these three temptations the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life as something that's present in the garden, right? In which it, it, it overwhelms Adam and Eve, that the convergence of those three temptations overwhelms Adam and Eve the point that they, they succumb. But in Jesus, the convergence of those does not right, take him away from his goal, which is to stay faithful and obedient to the will of God. Just one final connection. I think the three things that we just focused on on Ash Wednesday, the three things we focus on during Lent, can beautifully be seen as uh, medicines to avoid and help us with those three temptations. What is fasting but helping us to avoid the lust of the flesh? Right? That's what fasting is meant to do. Make sure we don't have excessive attachments to even good and natural pleasures that God gives us. That we don't have excessive attachments to the lust of the flesh. Right? What is almsgiving meant to do but to help us to overcome the lust of the eyes? Right? The lust of the eyes looks about at everybody else and says and compares ourselves constantly to how everyone else does. It says, I want what that person has. I want what that person has. Right? Almsgiving says the opposite. I'm just going to give away. I'm just going to exhaust myself in love and service to others. I'm not going to constantly look about and be measuring up myself and my things in relation to other people's. It's a pointless exercise. I'm not going to get distracted by that. I'm just going to do what I'm called to do. Right? In giving generously uh, to others. 
And then prayer, as I mentioned on Ash Wednesday, is an assault to pride of life. Every time we surrender in submission and humility and prayer to God, we are saying, I can't do this on my own. Lord, I need you. Help me to avoid an inflated, exaggerated sense of myself, to know how radically dependent I am on you and on my neighbor. Help me not to have a pride of life that wants to assert my superiority uh, over others or in relation to you. And so Lent is meant to give us a, a medicine, a formula for helping to overcome uh, these three things. So friends, I, I hope we can make some connections on these uh, temptations and see the incredible biblical story, right? How this plays out so beautifully and how Jesus undoes uh, what uh, was fallen uh, in the garden and restores us with the power of his grace to be able with him to overcome uh, the temptations that plague us. These temptations got the best of Adam and Eve. They did not get the best of Jesus. The question this Lent, armed with pre 